I invite the congregation to be seated. I don't think I have a microphone today. Can you all hear me all right? Yeah? All right. So uh, we are ending our journey through chapters 16 and 17 in Luke today. I know this makes you incredibly sad. But don't worry, we're going to pick up in chapter 18 next week. There's, there's one thing in chapter 17 that I think really ties a bow around everything that we've been doing, and it's verse 20, which is, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God is coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. I think that this is such an important verse, not just because I like to read more of the Bible than what we have printed in our, in our presentations. I think this is such an important verse because it tells us what Jesus' idea and ethic of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God really is. The kingdom of God is not something, even though, yes, we're waiting on that eschatologic, eschatological final coming of the kingdom of God, when Jesus descends in glory to judge the living and the dead and all those things we talk about in the creeds, right? We are waiting on that. But the kingdom of God isn't something that is going to just be here one day. The kingdom of God is something that's here among us. The kingdom of God is something that's with us now. The kingdom of God is something that is dwelling within us, that is inspiring us and transforming our hearts so that we might be able to experience God's presence, God's transformation, God's power and peace and the knowledge that we have a place that so often we lack in our lives, that comes only through the presence of God. And, you know, this is such an important concept that the kingdom of God isn't just something that's far off when God comes back to do God things, but the kingdom of God is here. In the Gospel of Mark, almost at the very beginning, the first thing that Jesus says is, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the good news. This is central not just to the Gospel of Luke. This is something that is central in all of the Gospels in the way Jesus talks about the kingdom. I think it also becomes important because it, it shapes the way we begin to think of another word, the word salvation. When I say the word salvation, and just because I'm really curious, you know, how many, how many when you hear the word salvation think of something that's going to happen to you one day? Just raise your hand if that's what you think of first when you, when you hear salvation. All right. So, so a couple people. How many, how many of y'all think of salvation as something that's happening to you right now? Just raise your hand. So, the same number. So everyone else in here has some opinion that's different than that, and that's okay. You know, and I, I think a lot of times when we hear that word, though, it does begin to gear us toward this idea, idea of something that's going to happen. But I, I think what we hear in the Gospels and what we've been reading in Luke 16 and 17 for these last several weeks is Jesus talking about an idea of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God that is here and now and present among us. And also, I believe in these parables, ending in this event that we have today where Jesus is walking down the road and 10 lepers call out to Jesus from afar. Well, as we say lepers, it says a skin disease, but you know, you, we see enough of that throughout the Gospels that we default to leprosy, right? And, but they call out to Jesus from afar, teacher, master, make us well. In part, because you know, you're not supposed to approach other people if you, if you have that disease and others don't. 
but also in part because people with this disease have been so separated, so isolated, so removed from their community that they feel like they don't even have a place where they can deserve to approach Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Now, I don't think we have to have any sort of disease to feel like we don't belong somewhere. We don't have to have any sort of disease to know what it feels like to feel out of place and feel isolated. You know, I don't think any of us would need to have any sort of disease to have had some experience in our lives where we're afraid to approach somebody that we want to talk to because maybe, maybe they're one of our heroes and, you know, we're afraid that they're going to think we're a little crazy, right? Or, or maybe there's someone who we're mad at and we're afraid of what we might say. Or there's, some, we, there's someone who we think is mad at us and we're afraid that they're going to reject us. Or there's a lot of reasons that we might isolate ourselves, right? And, and this gospel contains not just 10 people with this skin condition that are isolated, but after the healing, we learned that there was one who was kind of double isolated. You know, 10 were cleansed. One returned to give thanks. That one who returned to give thanks was a Samaritan, right? We, we might think of, and the thing about Samaritans we might think of as a Samaritan is somebody who's outside of the promise of God, according to the people who worship God in Israel. And what's interesting is they worship God too. The Samaritans don't worship a different God. It's not that the Jews worship God and the Samaritans worship other God. They worship the same God and they know this about each other. It's just that they're kind of two sibling traditions. It's kind of like the ELCA and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, you know. We worship the same God. We, we say a lot of the same words during the worship service. We, we believe like 98% of the same things. And yet, if you go into the, into the congregation of somebody who cares about different Lutheran denominations, and you say, Missouri Synod, some ELCA people will go, ugh. Or if you go into a Missouri Synod congregation and say ELCA, some Missouri Synod people will say, ah. And that's just the way it works. Nobody argues like siblings, right? And this is what the Samaritans are. The Samaritans are those people, not because they're different, in some ways because they're just a little bit too similar and familiar. We, we also have in our first reading the story of Naaman, who's a general of the armies. He's from Really what he's from is modern-day Syria, which you may have heard of recently. And Naaman, as this general of the armies, has also leprosy. And Naaman has tried everything. He is not someone who's poor. He is not somebody who's put down. He is, he is the person who, if you have a national hero, if you have somebody that everybody respects, you know, if you have somebody who has every advantage available to him possible, who can try everything, this is Naaman. And so Naaman has tried everything and finally it's still not working. So one of his servants says, well, there's a prophet in Israel. Why don't you go talk to this prophet in Israel? And if you wonder just how big a deal this is and just how important Naaman is, when a servant goes to the king in Israel and says to him, this general from Syria, Naaman, wants to come and talk to the prophet so that he can seek healing from his leprosy, the king says, Oh my gosh, are they trying to start a war? You know, what's going to happen if he comes here for healing and doesn't get it? What are they trying to do to me? And yet, 
Naaman comes, and the prophet meets him, and the prophet says to him, well, wash seven times in the Jordan, and, you know, we'll, and you'll be made clean. And I can understand Naaman's reaction, because first of all, I, I kind of judge how effective or how important something is by the amount of effort it takes to do it. You know, and, and sometimes I kind of pick on us Lutherans because we, on the one hand, do have this great gospel of grace that says to us that God loves us before we're able to name, claim, profess, or believe anything. The love of God is proclaimed to us through the gospel, through the word read and preached, through the different ways that we're able to celebrate God's love, one of them through baptism with infants. You know, we, we have this gospel that tells us about God's love, and it not only has consequences and benefits here and now, but our claim as people who believe in Jesus is that this faith has effects eternally even after we die. But being good Lutherans who feel guilty about asking anyone to do anything, we say, but you know, just, just be here whenever is convenient, right? And when I hear someone say that, this is really important, but you really don't have to do anything. That doesn't say to me, well, this is something that I should really spend a lot of time worrying about. Maybe, maybe you have a similar feeling, right? That's, it's one of the reasons why when I talk about our faith, I, I put it in the context of identity because identity drives the core of who we are. Identity sits underneath everything that we do. Identity influences all of our decisions. It influences the way we treat people. It influences the way we think about political policies, about family policies. It influences everything we do. Our identity is the core of who we are. So when we set our faith as identity, we have this kind of paradox that on the one hand, it is true. Before we're able to name, claim, believe, or profess anything, God loves us. And being a part of the family of God changes everything. And so Naaman, who has tried all the hard things, goes to Israel and here's something that's really just silly, simple. Well, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be made clean. And, and Naaman's like everyone else. You know, Naaman is pretty convinced that the things in his hometown are just as good and if not better than the things in other people's hometowns. You know, in, in South Carolina, college football is king because we don't have, well, we have, the, we have the Panthers, but that's in Charlotte and that's up there, right? That's in those other places. But we, we have the Gamecocks and the Tigers. Why would we need the Panthers, right? And here we have the Patriots. Why would you need other teams, right? Why, why would you go down and, and see the Dolphins in Miami, my other, the only real pro team I follow, you know? Why would you go down and see them when we have the Patriots? So Naaman says, you know, we've got better rivers at home. Why would I wash in the Jordan? And so it takes someone, and this is important, it takes someone who doesn't have power. It takes something, someone who doesn't have a lot of recognition. It takes someone who, according to society, really doesn't have a lot going for them that would make them be, a, a, be considered a, a valuable source to say, well, what if it really is that easy? What if it really is that simple? What if after all you've gone through, all it takes is for you to wash seven times in this water and be made clean. And Naaman, as important as he is, recognizes either a good deal or just says, well, why not? And does it, and he's made clean. 
And I imagine the king is wiping his brow and saying, whew, crisis averted, right? Well, there's an echo of this in our gospel today where 10, le- 10 people with a skin condition, 10 lepers are made clean, yet one returns to give thanks. And, and so the assumption is the way the story is told, but we don't know because it doesn't say specifically in the gospel. The assumption is the other nine were probably children of Israel. They were probably the, other than having this, this disease, the normal good people that, that have families and that have friends and have a place to go, we would think. You know, and, and, they, and Jesus says, go to the priests and show yourself. And they go. And this is something that I, I kind of find interesting. I wonder whether part of the reason the Samaritan returned is because they didn't have any priests nearby to go to. You know, isn't that really being the ultimate outsider? I'm so far away from my home, I don't even know what pastor to talk to. I'm so far away from my home, I don't have any kind of community to go to and show myself where I think I will be welcome. And that speaks even deeper to the separation between the people of Israel and the Samaritans, right? And so the Samaritan returns to give thanks. And Jesus says something that I I think is kind of famous that he says, you know, where are the other nine? And it's famous because it's such a simple question to remember, and pastors love this question because it's easy to remember as a hook in a sermon. But the other reason I think it's important is because it says something about our assumptions when we're in a place that's comfortable. Remember last week we talked about the opening verses of chapter 18, where, you know, we had the example of the of the slave who serves, and, you know, Jesus asked them, do you think that the master is going to thank the slave for everything they do? That's just what's expected of a slave. You've done everything you were supposed to do, and just say, I have done everything I'm supposed to do, and go on about your business. In some ways, when we know that we belong, when we know that we are in this place because we have a place here, that's, it's not just that the people who serve have an expectation by the people who are in charge, but the people who serve also have an expectation of the people in charge that they're just going to do the things that need to be done, right? So maybe they go on and don't return to Jesus because that's just what Jesus was supposed to do because they kind of think he's the Messiah and this is what Messiahing looks like, right? Maybe, maybe they're not ungrateful. Maybe it just doesn't occur to them that that's what they're supposed to do because Jesus has done what he's supposed to do, right? But, but here's another thing that I think is important here, especially as we're receiving new members, and we're going to be receiving more, more new members over the next couple weeks. And as we think about stewardship over the next month and what it means to be somebody who's a part of this community, one of the things that we know is important is that it means something to be a part of a community. And one of the things I know is true is that I think my wife at this point understands sometimes better about what it means to be a Lutheran than what I do, in part because she chose to become a Lutheran. She chose to join this tradition. She chose to be a part of this community. And so at some point, she really had to figure out, what am I getting myself into? What kind of crazy thing does my husband really believe? And so people who come into our community... You know, on the one hand, we welcome them into those things that we've always done. We welcome them in and help them to understand, you know, these are the ways that we sit and stand and kneel or whatever we do during worship. 
These are the ways that we serve God as in our community through the things that we do. These are the meals that we fix in the times that we have a potluck or a covered dish or whatever we call them here, right? You know, we, we welcome them into our tradition and what people from the outside are able to bring, bring to us is a perspective that we've never had because we've kind of been here. And so what we see through the Samaritan is seen through the eyes of somebody for whom the promise and welcome of the kingdom of God is new because they've never experienced it before. And we see the joy and the wonder and the gratitude and the hope, not just in some weird spiritual eschatological one day that's going to happen, but in the present reality of, oh my goodness, I no longer have this leprosy that's separating me. I now have an opportunity to do something new and to be a part of the community, and I don't know where I'm going to go, but I am so grateful not to be having this happen to me anymore. You know, we see through the eyes of somebody who is new the impact of the kingdom of God that has on someone who hasn't experienced it before. So what do we carry out of this place? That, that is what we carry for the world. That is what we carry into a world that hears time and time again, you don't have value, your value is what you produce, right? In a world that hears time and time again that your only worth is in what you offer, time and time again that your worth comes from where you were born or how you were born or what kind of money you have or what kind of car you drive or all the different ways that the world values us. A world that hears time and time again that you really don't have a place here and you're kind of lucky that you've been brought here. And how many different ways do we hear in our lives that we're kind of lucky that we're here and we should just be grateful? Well, I say this in a different way today. We are lucky that we are here and we are called to be grateful, not because of what we offer, but because of what the kingdom of God offers inside of us, that we have the opportunity to take into a world that needs so desperately to hear. You have a place. You are one who is loved, not because of what you do, not because of where you come from, not because of what you have, not because of what you produce, not even because of the, the things that you know, but because you are someone who is created by God and God loves what God is creating. That is what we carry into the world. So when, when we see people this week, look at them with new eyes. Whether they're people we've known all our lives or whether they're people that we've just met, Look at them with new eyes that see the worth that they have, not to us, but to God. And know that we who are people who are called to love God are also called to learn what, to love what God loves in the way that God loves it. And so not only are they loved by God, but now they're loved by us. Easy, right? Amen.